got these um, water bottles from a Gen X conference we were at a couple weeks ago. And the saying on it says, together we move forward. I think this is very appropriate. <coughs> a moment for my body to calm down. This um, practice and this poem is about Shin, um, about a, a whole body knowledge. And um, it's just a lot of causes and conditions and my karmic conditioning, which is um, that if it feels to me, and this happens, I think, for all of us who sit in this seat during Sashin, um, that we want the um, talk to come out of this body, this body, this body, this body, uh, what's alive and present. And so, um, and I'm, I'm developing a trust and faith in that, but um, there was nothing until this morning. And I was um, standing next to Jeffrey looking at the moon, and then all of a sudden something came up. But, you know, as, as body knowledge happens or body wisdom happens, it was like, a circular swirl of parts that had no form to it. <laughs> and, and I had like an hour to create form to this um, circular swirling set of things arising. And then, um, I'm gonna say my dear Jishas, I, I, um, Julie was helping as well. I, I had to like get it in a form and then down on paper and then out. 11.05, and as things started coming out, and um, so my body is all sh all shaken up from that, and I and I have a little tiny bit, and this is related to what I want to talk about, so this is why I'm bringing in, I have this little bit of fear, really, like, that doesn't trust this, or, and the fear is not just this kind of, I don't trust this, but it's like a Will you be able to speak what you really want to speak? And can you do that? Can you offer what you really want to offer? It's really, it's really trying to, um, it's taking seriously the, um, the request. So, it is also no big deal. <laughs> He's both. So I just wanted to confess that. That's what we've been talking about. Just like, okay, this is here. This is here. I don't have to pretend it's not here. It's here. And now it calms down. Okay, now I can. Thank you. Um, and really, this is what I wanted to talk about, um, at least part in part, is... Um, the way this poem is asking us 
to remember that nothing is inherently a problem. You know, fear, confidence, love, hate, open-hearted, close-hearted, angry, peaceful, wise, ignorant, trusting, fearful, gain loss. It's, it's all um, not only a problem, it's, it's the way things are. So, um, we say this, that the, these are just arisings of life. And um, we all do this. We all um, have trouble really, really deeply believing that these so-called problematic arisings are um, inherently um, a, a problem. They're not a problem. My fear is not a problem. It's not self-generating. My fear isn't a failure. It's some part that hasn't learned to trust yet. It's just there. And it's not self-generating. It's arising out of um, what I feel to, feel to be generations of what it means to speak. I've spoken about this before. And also, it's arising out of wisdom and love. I, I, I want to speak clearly. You all are giving me the, um, your time and attention and care. What a gift. <clears throat> and none of them are static, you know? Wonderful when I come in here, no fear, lovely. <laughs> it's kind of nice for my body, but uh, sometimes it's here and sometimes it's not. It's here one moment and then it disappears. And the, they, these pairs, I'm, I'm talking about them in pairs, because this is the dualistic mind we're talking about. And, and we all have pairs, many pairs. They rely on each other. They support each other. You know, we say like the front and back foot walking. How can we build confidence without fear? We talk about the mud and the lotus, right? That the mud, that the lotus, the mud is needed for the lotus to bloom. But listening to myself and to many of you, we really want to get rid of the mud when it's a lot of lotus plumes. It's like, okay, thank you for this beautiful lotus, see you later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to wash this shit off and be done. <laughs> and um, in my very uh, initial ex exer exertions into, exertions and, uh, and, and um, exertion and, moving into 
gardening. I have come to appreciate the incredible beauty and importance of mud and dirt. All the nutrients is there, all the transformational things happen in that. And now, as I, I have this, um, my first tree that I've planted, and I also planted this one beautiful bush, and it's starting to wilt. And I'm just like, what's going on? I can't tell by the leaves. The leaves are wilting. The, and I'm just like, I'm going to lose it. And I just am like checking the mud, checking the mud, checking the mud. What am I going to do? I have no idea. I'm not in control. But I'm just going to keep caring for that, for that ground underneath and not worry about the manifestation on the surface. So um, everything, everything is uh, a reflection of the cosmos as well. You know, this morning when I got out of the car and Jeffrey and others were like transfixed on this moon, I think some folks couldn't sleep last night. It was so bright. And um, that's when that's when it came to me, you know, it, just in that image. And, and that's how, and, and those of you who are artists get this so much, which is like right in that moment, in that image, the, the, the situation got clear to me. My mind clarified for a moment. This is... Uh, the symbol of enlightenment is the moon. It is not the sun. Though the sun offers the moon the glow that it has to our eyes. And it's not just any moon that is a symbol of enlightenment in Buddhism. It's the moon that has um, clouds representing delusion partially covering its appearance. And um, as I have learned to come to trust um, as, a, as a point of orientation, over so many years of practicing with my own um, so-called delusions. <laughs> I don't even want to call them delusions. It is um, inside of all of those problematic uh, um, aspects of our conditioning that we have been perhaps visiting or has been visiting us. I think they will keep insisting on visiting us until we get what they're trying to offer us. That there's, there's potentiality of wisdom inside of everything. And so that everything we want to discard, every part of ourselves, every other being, everything um, that we start to divide in that way, we're throwing out life, we're throwing out wisdom, we're throwing out a message, I would say. They're carrying something for us. And now this is, I guess, the fifth day of Sashimi, depending on how you count it. And um, 
we have, uh, I know you've all been deeply, sincerely um, studying these divisions of mind, body, and heart within us and between us, between us and our environment. And perhaps um, things are starting to soften or break open or st the boundaries are starting to loosen up. And there's this great relief there. And when we uh, begin to feel that quieting of that dualistic mind, and um, there is something that starts to get illuminated. So there's, I, I, I see it, and it's not just one direction, it's circles, circles, circles back and forth. You know, ease and then more mud, ease and more mud. So the so I wanted to share the the second set of um, lines that popped out at me, which are later in the poem. dream, an illusion, a flower in the sky. How could they be worth grasping? Gain and loss, right and wrong, discard them all at once. If the eyes do not close and sleep, all dreams will cease of themselves. If the mind does not discriminate, all dharmas are, once, are of one suchness. So this first line, um, a dream, an illusion, a flower in the sky, how could they be worth grasping? It is a nod to the gatha at the end of the Diamond Sutra. And this is the very famous gatha that ends this sutra. So you should view this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. So one of the problems, I think, in terms of our tendency to um, create these dualities is, is our language. And um, one of the reasons, you know, I appreciate Kosin says, I don't want to translate shin. You know, we talk about it as heart-mind or trust in heart or trust in mind. And it's so beautiful because it, it's, it's an integration an integrating word. It's a word that can hold seemingly opposing energies. And I feel like uh, this practice, the heart of this practice, is not to like, not to clean up and get solely on one side, but actually to relax and live and honor the seemingly con conflicting um, aspects of our energy, our body, mind, and heart that live in us all the time. And live between us. So to me, this is the yogic practice. This is what we're practicing.
and this um, piece of the, about So you should view this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom in a dream. When we, at least in my experience, when we begin to live and rest in these seemingly opposites, uh, the, the quality of being, um, the best word that I have that resonates for me in the English language is poignancy. There is a, uh, that word, I, I, I love that word because it, it has a, an acknowledgement of the sadness, the sadness of, um, of, of the way life is, which is um, always moving, always birthing and, and dying. And also in it is this sweetness that we are, uh, everything is so precious. And um, when, our, when we start to, to, to embody um, and live in harmony, or allowing our hearts and minds to hold both of those things, this kind of joy and, and sadness at the same time, or that when we're angry, we can also stay connected to our love. Or when we're hurt or fearful, we can um, still sense into what we can trust. And so, the other part of this poem, uh, the, this, this gatha really speaks to not just impermanence, but how things are not what we think they are. And so many times when we think we're right, when we think we're wrong, we're missing, we're only seeing like the little, a little tiny bud, you know, on what looks like a dying tree. You know, there's, there's all these mysterious things happening. And so um, it only looks like a bubble. It only looks like death. It only looks like loss at this moment. But it's, there's so much more to it. And so, um, and, we, and, we, and we can never reach it, no matter what we tell ourselves about it. So this is, this is the heart's place to rest, I think. Um, and, you know, this time is just a time of tremendous threat and loss. And um, we're so overwhelmed by it. It's like we wonder whether we can actually ever have joy again. Just read a report that the, um, the Arctic is warming four times faster than what we had formerly predicted, the rate of its um, warming. So uh, this is not just um, a philosophical exploration, as Kosin spoke about it. 
This is a, a moral imperative. So while each of us want to and actually needs to heal those divisions and learn to live, have our bodies live in this, um, this mixture, we're, we're not just doing it for ourselves. Each of, each of us in sitting this week is offering, because we're trying to heal and we're trying to see clearly and we're trying to understand what creates, what creates this harm and how can we respond to it. And when we um, calm down these very intense fixed views, We can hear that um, life, Buddhas, are always talking to us. <laughs> and we can't hear them until we drop our views, our fixed views. You know, we, we can have views, we just can't fix them. So one of the ways that we talk about this in our practice is this not knowing mind. So minds that know fixed to a position. Minds that don't know are soft and flexible and open to possibility and don't position themselves in the center, but as um, Kosin talked about, like these, all these possibilities, 34 possibilities, all contributing wisdom, all communicating wisdom. Every single being, these are the seen beings in the room. <laughs> Forget about all the unseen beings in the room also communicating to us. And we have to learn how to listen. And what has been a given to us is that we first listen by turning to our spiritual ancestors. We're not arrogant enough. Well, hopefully we're, we're not, we know that we're arrogant. <laughs> we know we have this tendency to hold to fixed views. So did our ancestors, spiritual ancestors. And they uh, went through, they learned something. And then they were kind enough to pass it along to us. So, this is what they gave us. This is the technology, this is the, this is the process to how to listen, how to heal. And this is what we've been doing. And to me, it doesn't, from my position in the mandala, it doesn't matter if you're hating or loving or crying or shut down or, um, you know, complaining about the food or, you know, it doesn't matter as long as you are taking up the practice of of the embodiment of what is being offered. So they're offering us an embodied way of communicating through bows and ceremonies and forms. And they're asking us to sit. No matter what's going on, just come sit. And sitting could include lying down on your bed, but, but sitting together. And they tell us, please study your minds. Please take responsibility for your fixed views. 
because they can harm. They have taught us to have generosity and patience and be upright. Here's how enlightened people navigate this. Here's how bodhisattvas navigate. These are the precepts. They taught us to confess, not in some, excuse me, not in some like punishing you're bad and now you've got to confess that you're bad. They're teaching us to confess so we can um, unburden ourselves and we can open up to listening and hearing what's being offered. And when we do that, this idea of subject and object start to change, you know, and you, you know it, right? I experience it every time. We don't even realize this is happening, but objects become subjects. An object of like self-hatred becomes a subject. And I bow, what's going on? Who are you? Why do you keep coming to visit me? <laughs> Why don't you just go to sleep? Go <laughs> away. Oh, what? Why? Okay. And something, something integrates. And then we start being like, okay, this, I know it's beautiful out there, but I can't quite touch it. You know, and then something happens and there's the subjectivity that the tree is, uh, is speaking and we can listen and hear. Of course, it's always within our minds, our limited consciousness. We can't know, we're not knowing, but something is intimately expressed. And um, I think what's um, so powerful for me, which has um, been part of my dilemma over the last two days, is, is something that is just uh, coming at me, coming at me, um, is that when we begin to listen and we begin to melt this idea of self and other, and we, 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 the, the, what's happening for me is that I uh, I'm just keep feeling the presence of my familial ancestors and I say that it's so it's really actually a funny thing you know um, because I was doing this talk and I thought, let me just do a very normal talk here. <laughs> Whatever that means. That's my own conditioning from Zen, my Zen history. So I was like, okay, let me, let me do this. And I'm reading this book right now um, called To Speak for the Trees by this woman, Diana, and I wanted to tell her story and I thought I wouldn't have time to tell her story. Is this story just self-serving? What is it? I put it down and then, um, some something comes to me and and it just keeps saying like bring your ancestors in bring your ancestors in. like it just keeps popping back in so um i'm i'm listening because it's mysterious and 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 i'm i am i don't know but this is what's being asked so you know our true nature when we're when we when we when we, um, to go back to this line, 
If the mind does not discriminate, all dharmas are of one suchness. And I offer this because um, it was a gift to me, and, um, and I was mentioning to somebody that, and, and maybe the case for all of you, no matter who your ancestors are, that um, these Indian and Chinese and Japanese ancestors uh, brought me back to my own ancestors, or bringing me back to my own ancestors. So uh, uh, um, a quick, uh, uh, to capture so much of what she speaks about, so basically I'm reading this book, and it's about this woman, Diana Thresifor Kruger, who um, was um, born of a, an Irish uh, working farm family and, an, and um, a British aristocrat. And they got married young. They had a very troubled relationship. They split apart. Diana's mother, Diana was gifted with an incredible intelligence. And Diana's mother, because of that time in Ireland, and because of patriarchy, she recognized that it was gonna be dangerous for her daughter to be so smart. And so she, in a very harsh way, started to have her doubt her, her gift and um, told her to put it away. So uh, what happened was that she, um, uh, both of her parents died within about a year. And here she was, maybe 10 or 11, and she's orphaned. And um, in this uh, time in Ireland, if you're an orphan, it's very likely that you're gonna be sent to this local um, Magdalene Laundry, which um, was actually prisons, where over the course of, um, I can't remember how long, thousands of women were sent, unmarried women, sexually active women, orphans, women who were, who were promiscuous, you know, or who just troubled, troubled and burdened to their families. They were sent off to these orphans, which were basically um, houses of torture, prisons, where they were psychologically and, and um, physically abused. So she was terrified of being sent to one of these prisons and um, by chance, her, uh, an uncle claimed her and let her stay at his house, but he was, he was a bachelor and he didn't realize he actually had to feed her. <laughs> so she started to get emaciated. And then in the summer, she was sent to um, her mom's house in Lachine, which is this uh, town in Ireland, um, uh, a valley and a farm. And Lachine means inhabitants of the fairy mounds, which I love. And it's, uh, it was described in her book as one of the last bastions of Celtic culture in Ireland. So the town had pretty much been cleared out of anybody but like 80, 60, 70, 80-year-old men and women who were enacting uh, the, the ways that had been around for 200 years. And what happened was, in this uh, Celtic a Gaelic uh, ancient Irish law, which is called the Brehan Laws, which were amazing to read. There's so many amazing things in those laws. I have to just say 
for example, in this law, if you were, um, if you had a, a debt to a, a wealthier landowner, and you gave them your precious heirlooms, your jewelry, uh, as a collateral, that landowner had to give you back your jewelry for the ancient ceremonies so that you wouldn't be humiliated. It's kind of like that kind of law. And in this law, it said that um, any orphan is considered everyone's child. So what happened, and, I, and I'll speak really quickly about this, is that they organized all of the folks in the village to pass on their knowledge. Not this knowledge, how to make butter, you know, what orange butter is versus yellow butter, what these plants look like, how to fix this horse, you know, all that. And um, no matter what anybody had to share, all were seen as equal value. And they taught her a Celtic tree alphabet called Ulgam, which, uh, and they, so they just, they actually taught her how to love herself and care about herself and trust herself again. They taught her meditation. And um, so long story short, she goes on to um, become a botanist and a, a medical biochemist. She's very famous, she goes to universities, but as the um, anti-colonial Gaelics are, they, they, she, got, she was feisty and wouldn't, you know, whenever someone limited her or started to threaten her project, which is all around learning about the medicine of trees and how to preserve them, she believed the, the institution and she eventually started a farm. And she started saving tree species. She started working with indigenous folks to preserve old growth forests, cultivating healthier species of trees to withstand climate change better. And um, she, her message, her message to us, and she's 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 kind of, you know, amplifying it wherever she can is um, that trees. Uh, are the thing that's going to save us. Trees, plants, because they they purify the air for us. And so she has YouTube videos and, and everything else, and she's um, saying that if each of us planted one tree each, every person on the planet, one tree each for the next six years, we can, we can hold off perhaps, uh, or buy us some time. So, um, this is a, 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 a woman who ha was told that she had no value. And um, she went and she, uh, she, she, she was given a gift. And she translated that gift. She, she honored that gift. She honored where, understood where other ancient wisdom was held. And she did what she could. And um, there's all these bodhisattvas all over. Here's everywhere. And we think we're so small, you know? 
maybe because we don't have a social media presence, we haven't written a book, um, we don't have a beautiful house, we don't have a partner, I don't know, you name it. So when we, we are being given a gift of this practice, I believe, and I believe that we need to, once we learn to listen, to speak on behalf, to free us up from the ways we bind <coughs> ourselves down, to begin to see what we have to offer, not just in some grandiose way. You know, Diane is not just the hero, that woman who taught her the Gaelic language or taught her how to make butter. No. And here we are, we have we have been given this. You know, we didn't have to be become orphans or maybe we did and maybe we were desperate and so we found we found um, a place that has been preserving a certain kind of wisdom and translating it and trying to make it workable. You know, that that what Diana did, her all those kids left. You know, and these, these folks have this wisdom of like, who am I going to give this to? And this, and this throwaway woman, this little girl, was given it. So to me, sashins are, are, are a beautiful opportunity for us to learn something, to um, cultivate capacities, to heal to enjoy and rest and um, be held in something we were all given, but it's also a request. And when we listen, we hear the request more and more. And then our small little petty uh, ideas of ourselves feel like, oh gosh, this is not, this is not, um, this shouldn't stop me. It doesn't matter if you're afraid. Use the fear. <laughs> so I'm deeply appreciative of this poem. I'm deeply appreciative of all of those who have translated, who speak of it. I'm deeply appreciative, appreciative, appreciative of Ian Coulson bringing their dharma, their bodies, their minds, their histories, their ancestries to this poem. And um, I'm deeply appreciative of all. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.